Hi, I'm Kelly. And welcome to The Millennial Minimalist. Today, I am sharing an important and informative discussion with my good friend and returning guest, Hamza Khan, the author of the Amazon best-selling book, The Burnout Gamble. In our first discussion titled, Let's Talk About Burnout, Hamza shared the 12 stages of burnout and how to protect yourself from burnout firsthand. And today, considering the rise in workplace stress, Hamza and I decided to get together again to talk about big picture solutions to this global phenomenon. The World Health Organization currently classifies burnout as a medical diagnosis resulting from chronic workplace stress that has been unmanaged. And today, Hamza evaluates our global workplace solutions and stresses the importance of training our leaders. Specifically, Hamza expands on current studies that point to poor leadership as being a major factor in driving employees to burnout. And Hamza explains the importance of training our leaders to favor sustainable workplace practices that protect our time and attention. Also, together, Hamza and I evaluate global corporate wellness programs and challenge unhealthy workplace values that celebrate overwork. Plus, we discuss corporate experiments with the four-day, six-hour work week and its potential for positive change. I hope that our discussion will help you better understand and prevent burnout and inspire you to help raise awareness to help dissolve this global issue. Thank you in advance for sharing in our conversation. So I'm so excited to have you back, Hamza. Like we had, we interviewed you last August. Wow. And since then, our episode has been the number one episode to date. Oh man. Wow. That is, uh, that is very, very nice to hear. Burnout is a very relatable topic, mm-hmm. especially today. Some would say a hot topic, an even hotter topic than when we first talked about it. Yeah. I couldn't help myself. Sorry. <laughs> and I'm excited to learn about that. So in our first discussion, we spoke about your personal experience with severe burnout. Mm-hmm. We spoke about your incredible book, The mm-hmm. Burnout Gamble. Thank you. And together we walked through the 12 stages of burnout and we spoke about how to prevent and beat it. Right. And today I really want to focus on the developing definition. Ooh. So in the burnout gamble, you define burnout as the health epidemic of the 21st century. And then last year, when we last spoke in May of 2019, WHO, the World Health Organization, came out and added to this definition, classifying burnout as an official medical diagnosis resulting from chronic workplace stress that has been unmanaged. Mm -hmm. So to start, what are your thoughts on this evolving definition and how would you add to it today? Wow. <laughs> How much time do we have? Uh, wow. Where do I even begin? I mean, I've got a confession. I'll start with this confession. I, I tried to get away from burnout as a topic. It was a very exhausting thing to talk about, to think about. And I thought I had wrapped up the burnout gamble and its iteration in keynote form last November. So I was on a three city speaking tour, four gigs in Australia. Uh, And it was a lot of fun. And that was a bit of a retirement tour for some of my favorite talks, the burnout gamble being one of them. And I said, that's it. I'm done talking about burnout. I've said everything I could possibly say on the subject. It's over. And just when I got away from it, uh, the definition evolved. And I started to discover that there was a whole other dimension around this problem that I had not considered, that I teased at the end of my book. I talked about three levels of responsibility when it comes to burnout, the individual, the organization, and the government. And if you remember, the burnout gamble was very much about the individual. It was about the onus on Kelly and Hamza to reduce the probability and likelihood of stress in their life and diminish the impact of stress on their life, but very little of that book. And my talking as an extension, my speaking as, as an extension, held leaders to account. Now here we are. 
right? Here yeah. we are talking about the World Health Organization's reclassification of burnout as what you mentioned, uh, resulting from chronic workplace stress that has been unsuccessfully managed. Uh, and they broke it down further into three different dimensions. They talked about feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion. They talked about increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to one's job. And finally, reduced professional efficacy. If that doesn't sound like the shit that you and I have been through mm -hmm. in our lives that we swept under the rug, that we mislabeled, that was communicated to us as a shortcoming, as a failing of the individual, I can't think of anything else. I mean, this is absolutely frustrating to now look back in history and reimagine, reclassify those times where we burned out as part of a larger systemic problem. Mm -hmm. That there was nothing that you and I could have done differently and that there were factors largely outside of our control, aka our organizations, aka the leadership, aka the government, aka this unhealthy culture in North America where people live to work instead of work to live, that's where we find ourselves now. And so we have a lot to unpack here. Oh, very well said. It's so true. What's beautiful about the burnout gamble, though, is that you do offer actionable lifestyle tools that we as individuals can apply to our lives mm -hmm. to lessen this, I mean, reduce burnout, be mindful of the stages, etc. But that being said, as you're saying now, there are economic problems that we need to solve. There are other issues that collectively we need to solve together. Oh, yeah. And, you know, in preparation for this, I was rereading The Burnout Gamble, which is always a weird experience. It's like, I wrote that, but when I read it, it's like, I didn't actually write that. Somebody else is speaking to me, a more inspired version of myself, a more calm and productive and enlightened version of myself. And uh, one of the things that I mentioned in those last chapters where I was talking about the three layers of responsibility, I call them the, or the imperatives. There was a suggestion in there that government and organizations would move slowly, therefore the individual had to take it upon themselves to adapt and withstand the stress that was coming. But now... The more I think about that, the more I realize that this is actually a wicked problem, that once you adjust one of the variables, it affects a hundred, a thousand other variables, and it becomes cyclical and almost vicious in some ways. I think at the root of this, Kelly, is, is the notion that we are not enough. We don't feel like we're enough. And I don't think we talk about that enough. We're all walking around with a void. We're all walking around feeling a little empty. You know, you and I don't feel like we're perfect enough, efficient enough, progressive enough, satisfied enough, innovative enough. And the reason we don't feel that way is because there are factors outside of our control, competition, alienation, society, technology, loneliness, the economy. I mean, I just read today that I forget the European country where this is happening, where they're, they're designing a grocery store specifically to encourage conversations with people at the checkout. Wow. So let me, let, me, let, me, let me just put this in perspective, right? Think about the last time you did your groceries. Yeah. Probably had your AirPods in or you were probably on your phone and it was a very transactional interaction. You just went, you scanned your card and maybe you didn't even talk. Maybe it was just gestures and you point to the screen and you get it done. But loneliness has become such a pervasive problem. Just to hone in on one of those castle factors that I talked about, C-A-S-T-L-E, competition, alienation, society, technology, loneliness, and the economy. Just to hone in on um, how bad loneliness has gotten. Where, an, uh, where a grocery chain, I think in Denmark, has prioritized um, conversation at that point of checkout to alleviate some of the, 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 the levels of loneliness that have become pervasive in that part of the world. How bizarre is that? Wow. That you have to find human-to-human -human connection at the grocery store. No, I think that's a... I mean, unfortunately, we're losing that today because we can actually check that on our own. Yep. It's really unfortunate. And these things are symptomatic of that deeper problem that I talked about earlier, where we don't feel like we're enough. And we have to confront why that's the case. Why have we 
subscribe to this idea that our sense of self is dependent on how valuable we are in the marketplace. Why do I judge you? Why do you judge me? And I don't think we're, you know, I'm saying when I say you and I, I'm talking about the, the larger you and I. Why do people judge each other based on how valuable they are in the marketplace? That's a totally bottomless way to, to ascribe to ascribe value, to ascribe worth. I mean, it's just, you're never going to be happy in that system. I know, especially, I mean, our job titles really give us a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it gives us, we hold on to it too hard. Yeah. Like we, our job titles are, are that should not be our full purpose at all. No. Because when you put everything towards that and you lose your job, how are you going to feel? Oh boy. So you got to prepare for everything else. Again, a, a sense of success is a sense of purpose in all areas. It's not in that one area. Right. Because if you place all of your... All of your energy in that, then when you lose it, you're gonna be you're gonna be feeling lonely. Um, it's bizarre, and, and you're gonna work harder to yeah. be successful in that, and you're gonna hurt yourself. You could potentially hurt your health in that because you're like, oh, like this is my purpose. Like if I'm not good at this, then I'm not gonna be happy, right? And it, it's it's unfortunate, but then there's also social factors. I'd say <laughs> so. We focus on the most successful entrepreneurs in the world. (laughs) And uh, you'll find this interesting, Hamza. I read an article. It's called, Why Are Young People Pretending to Love Work? Oh, man. And it's by writer Erin Griffith. And she says, long hours don't make anybody more productive or creative. They make people stressed, tired, and bitter. But the overwork myths survive because they justify the extreme wealth created for a small group of elite techies. Nailed it. Could not have said it better. I, I just love that. That's it. That's exactly what it is. That in the absence, and, and this might be a bit of a stretch, so I apologize to the millennial minimalist listeners over here. I've been meditating on this a lot, and I haven't fully crystallized my thoughts on this, but I think something happened when the bottom fell out of society. Once upon a time, we were a more God-fearing society. We were much more religious, and we believed in this transcendent idea that we were enough, that there was this circular relationship with a higher being, a highest order priority, aka God. And through that, we were able to feel like The things that happen in our day-to-day weren't the be-all, end-all. That we were so much more than our job, so much more than our salary, so much more than our company, so much more than our title. But in the absence of that, we've sort of elected these false gods. And we've lionized people like the entrepreneurs you're talking about. I was one of those people. I mean, I remember praying at the altar of Gary Vee once upon a time. Like Gary Vee would you know, engage in what I called struggle porn or hustle porn. You know, He would talk about things like you have to grind. You know, There's your nine to five and there's your five to whenever. And don't go home and watch fucking Lost. Sorry, I shouldn't apologize. Uh, sorry, I should apologize. I, I can't swear. That was me channeling Gary Vee a little yeah, bit over of course. there. But he would say things like that and I'd get fired up. And it's what I needed to hear at the time, what I needed to uh, activate my, my, my hustle, if you will. But it's not the thing that continued to give me success. It had diminishing returns over time. When you pray to that altar, when you're participating in those unhealthy ways, those extreme ways of producing value in the system, the system's impersonal. The system will just spit you out. And you know, this, I don't know how how far into this I should get, but I have been doing some research recently about companies that we, especially here in Canada, put at the Paragon, the Mount Rushmore of of tech companies and startups that we think are the best places and the most desirable places to work. But I've been doing a little bit of research and I'm telling you all that glitters is not gold. There are some companies where if you go on their Glassdoor pages and you type in the right combination of words and you sort through far enough on the Glassdoor reviews, there's one review that I saw today that said the CEO knows that people are burning out. He uses them, burns them out, and then rehires again. Burnout is part of the business model. Unbelievable. 
Is it? Now that is a problem. Right? Um, and that's a problem that we don't, we're not aware of. That small group of people you talked about. Who yeah. in, in whose best interest it is to perpetuate this idea that that's attainable and it's not. So I'm wondering, so we as individuals, we do hear from, you know, our, the leaders in our life, those thought leaders that we follow on Instagram and social media. They're always telling us to hustle harder, yep. to rise and grind, mm -hmm. to, you know, the more busy you are, the more successful you will become. How can we as individuals like basically reduce these unhealthy values that, fuel burnout culture? That is a great question. I think um, it comes back to, to some of those personal uh, strategies that I listed in the burnout gamble, specifically uh, deloading priorities, reconfiguring focus, assembling boundaries around the things that burned you out in the first place, gaining a mastery over stress, overcoming overachievement and nurturing resilience. That's what we can do at the individual level. There's things that we can do to, to better manage and, and maximize our time, energy and attention. And I think part of that involves uh, disconnecting, at least in spirit, from the company, the organization. Unless it's maybe your own, then maybe the, the rules are a little different. But even then, I would say not so much. It's to see yourself as an individual first, not as an employee of the company, not as your title first, right? Now, let me be very clear. I'm very passionate about Student Life Network. I'm very passionate about Wyconic. I give it my heart and my soul. I'm the managing director of both organizations. Do I see myself as managing director of Wyconic Hamza Khan? No, I see myself as Hamza Khan, who happens to be the managing director of Wyconic. And I think that distinction is important. And where I got the idea, or at least the freedom, even, even the courage, if you will, to make that distinction, came from none other than LeBron James, who in an interview, now we're talking about the LeBron James, right? King James, at the pinnacle of his career, the, the pinnacle of his craft, regarded as 1A, 1B, right there with Michael Jordan, as one of the best players of all time. Uh, if we think of LeBron James as just a basketball player, I would encourage us to, to increase our Oculus and look at his investments, look at his, his nonprofit organizations, look at all of the different business ventures he's invested in. When they interviewed him on court uh, and they called him a basketball player, he said, I'm not a basketball player. I'm a guy who happens to play basketball. I love that. And when he said that, I, my jaw hit the floor. I was like, whoa. So this is, this is a level of self-awareness that I think we all need to emulate that you are not podcast host Kelly Foss. You are Kelly Foss, who happens to have a vast portfolio of work, which includes podcasting, but you are so much more than that. You are a partner. You are a daughter. You are a friend. You are just Kelly. You are, you are a human being with very, very rooted biological needs that exist independent of the value that you create in the marketplace. You need to exist and you need to be happy and calm and content in and of yourself and not depend on a company to solve those problems for you. And I would suggest that our listeners approach people in that light. You know, when you see somebody new or you meet somebody new, don't just judge them right away. Absolutely. You don't know who they are fully. Absolutely. You need to sit with them and actually have a real conversation to really understand someone. Mm -hmm. There's so many layers to everybody. So you can't just see them as their job title. Oh my goodness. There's so much more, especially when someone is upset or they react in a negative way. I never take it personally because I don't know what's going on in their life. Oh, right? Man. So you can't judge that person immediately. Like that's being super mindful, right? Kelly, you're going to love this. One of, one of the things that I've been doing in 2020, I know we're only two months into this, um, but this has single-handedly changed my, real, my relationship with strangers. I just assume that everyone is doing their best. And not even with strangers, even with my family, right? The other day, my mom was stressed out and she was talking about some stuff related to the engagement and the wedding. And, you know, I wanted to take it personally, but I'm like, hold on. 
My mom is literally trying her best. Hamza's engaged. Uh, yes, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> As if uh, there was there was not enough room for anything and then suddenly I got engaged and now I've got this wedding to plan, um, which I'm very excited for. Shout out to Bailey. It's going to be a great time. But when I now assume that everyone is trying their best, and to your point, uh, 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 assume ignorance before malevolence. Don't assume that people have it out for you. Assume that they are either ignorant or you know, and or just trying their best. It, it, it is such a great way to, to move through the world. It lessens my stress whenever I'm dealing with people in difficult situations. Just a, just a little bit of a little, little humzaism over there, if you will. No, of course. I, I really wanted to just continue with the individual sure. focus, but n- l- now let's focus on leadership. So you did, you mentioned how today's leaders may also be at fault for fueling burnout culture and leading employees to burnout. So how can we train today's leaders and future leaders to adopt a mindset that favors a work-life balance? Because again, it's top down and, you know, there's this disease mindset that I've, I've, I've read in multiple articles that more, bigger, faster is better. And it's just like, it's, it's a mentality that needs to change. Kelly, you have asked the $300 billion question. And why $300 billion? Because that is the cost of stress and burnout annually to organizations in just North America. $300 billion is lost in productivity, absenteeism, turnover, and other healthcare expenditures. And this is, this is quoted by, from, from a report that, that Gallup uh, put out, I think, two years ago, two or three years ago. And uh, I want to see what that number is now. I imagine it's a lot higher because this is what pulled me back into, in, into the study of burnout. Right, I'd gotten away from it, and I was going about my life. I'm a marketer by, by by trade. I'm a marketer. I'm an educator. I'm an author. I'm a speaker. And burnout was just this thing that happened to me that then became a big part of my life for a little while. And I thought that you know what, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to contribute as much as I can, and give my family, give my friends, give the world this body of work, my experiences, and my my strategies for overcoming burnout. And I wanted to step away from it. Uh, did I have an intention of coming back? Yeah, very loosely when needed, but not in the way that I've come back to it now. And so I need to let you know and I need to let the listeners know what has happened and what events have led me to come back to burnout with a burning passion. The first was World Health Organization's upgrade of the definition. So when that happened, I was like, okay, this is both vindicating but troubling. Then, I'm not sure if you read this, but a piece came out in The Verge about the Away CEO. Did you read this? Yes, I did. Suitcase company. The suitcase company. I own their products, fantastic products. I wish I had known just how how toxic and flammable, if you will, that workplace was. Imagine working from home, and then you get a letter from your—not a letter. I was going to say a letter. Uh, you get a you get a you get a message from your CEO saying, "Take a picture of your setup at at home so that I know you're working." Can you imagine how dehumanizing that is? And this was very common, right? Very common. If you go on a Waze glass door page, you can see that this story is corroborated by hundreds. So, of people so this there. story was out there for a while, eh? Right. It was out there for a while. And uh, the CEO, I think, has resigned. Uh, somebody else has come on board to manage this. And that, that led me to ask the question, if this is happening at a company where if you go on their careers page, they're using all the right words, or at least mm-hmm. they were before maybe they have changed it. They talked about sustainable, female first, I mean, uh, uh, very friendly to young people, you know, flexible, so on and so forth. This was supposed to be the promised land. Away was supposed to be the company that would model it for everyone else. Right. And then you ask yourself, is this happening at Google? Is this happening at Amazon? Is this happening at Shopify? And, you know, I'm just naming some names or maybe I have looked into these companies. And I will leave it to the, leader, to the listeners to go and, and check it out for themselves. WeWork is another example. 
of a company that on the surface appeared to be a unicorn, a super unicorn, right? This was the company of the future. They were doing it right. And then lo and behold, attrition like you couldn't imagine, just a total glass, a revolving door, a revolving glass door, if you will. So that happened. And then I met with a friend over coffee, I think three weeks ago, and she's working at a company that I can't name. I'll tell you after here in Toronto. Okay. Ooh, that narrows it down a little bit. And she said, Hamza, I am scared. I cry at work on a regular basis. Is it a global firm? I can't. I, oh. I wish I could I could get in trouble <laughs> if I named this company. Right, right, right. Absolutely. But if I tell you what company this is, you'll be shocked. Because wow. if you go on their careers page, if you go on their mission, vision, values, principles, and purpose, so inconsistent with how this employee is being treated, who happens to be a very smart and capable person who has done very well prior to this, she told me that she's so afraid to let people down that she takes her laptop into the bathroom for her 15-minute breaks. And she's wow. like, while I'm taking a shit, I'm also answering emails because that's the culture there. So those things led me to look under the hood one more time. I said, how bad is it really? Because I thought that maybe you and I, we've done this podcast, we're both in our respective worlds trying to increase awareness of burnout as a problem. We're trying to uh, help organizations and people implement changes. I would have thought that in the last three years, because the Burnout Gamble came out three years ago, in the last three years, I would have contributed a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I decided to look at some numbers. How many books have been published on burnout and stress and wellness and well-being? And I looked at the last 10 years, 2010 to 2020. The numbers gradually increased, and around 2015, they skyrocketed. Okay, how many podcasts, how many, how many ebooks, how many resources, how much awareness, how much material around burnout and stress and stress management has been published? Record numbers. I was going to say, tons. Tons, tons, right? <laughs> so everyone knows, get your sleep, journal, meditate, drink your green smoothies, eat salads, so on and so forth. At an individual level, you'd think we all know this, that organizations also understand the benefits from investing in their employees, from providing flexible work hours, from providing uh, you know, uh, uh, longer paternity and maternity leave, so on and so forth. I looked at all those numbers, and by every measure, we should have gotten this right. And then I decided to look at a number that unsettled me, that disturbed me. Okay, if, if we as a collective have increased awareness and implementation, then it should logically follow that stress and burnout would decrease. Correct. What do you think happened, Kelly? No, it absolutely increased. And in some cases, doubled and tripled. Unbelievable. So this is the burnout paradox, if you will. What is the real problem? If the individuals have figured this out, if the organizations are starting to implement this, perhaps we've been looking in the wrong place. Perhaps it's top down. That is a scary idea. So, so, yes. so I actually, so I read an article that supports this idea. It's called Leading on Empty, How Leaders Drive Their People to Burnout. Yikes. I, need, I it, need to read this. If you could please send oh, that to I me. Oh, I absolutely will. Uh, and in it, writer Tony Swartz says, quote, most- Tony, energy project. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, most guy. leaders of today agree that when people take better care of themselves, they work better. Yep. Just like you said. But deep down, they also believe that working harder and longer than anyone else is what makes one successful today. So th therein lies the rub, right? And I'm, I'm calling it flammable leadership. It's about creating a culture, creating a toxic workplace where people are likely to burn out. And there's four types of leaders. And I've been working on you know, expanding this idea out a little bit more. I actually created a grid. I wish I could show it to you. But it's basically this. Uh, there's four types of leaders. The first is the leader who is unaware of burnout culture but cares about people. And that's good because we can educate those leaders. We can empower them to make changes. Then there's the leaders who are aware of burnout culture, 
and who also care about people. That's good. So they know that burnout's a problem, unlike the first leader who's unaware. They're aware that something's happening and they care about people and they want to fix a problem. Fantastic. Amazing. Part of the team. But this is where it gets crazy. There's leaders who are unaware of burnout culture, but that don't care about people. These are bad leaders because, you know, maybe education might help them, but for what it's worth, they actually don't care about their employees' well-being. They're so disproportionately focused on the business and on themselves. But the worst kind of leader, the leader who is aware of burnout culture and doesn't care about people, they are intentionally engaging in behaviors that are burning people out. Um, they have a disregard for human life. Um, I mean, I could go on. I mean, the lowest level of hell is reserved for these people. And and they, they might think that the consequences, you get tired, you take some sick leave, you, you lose your job, you go find another job. And I would encourage these people to look deeper because that's such an outdated notion of the consequences of burnout that, you know, you take a, you take a, you take a mental health day, you take a sick day, uh, you go on leave, you, you go on vacation. No, those are not the consequences. I mean, 1,600 people died today in China from working too hard. And we can go further and further into this. There are fatal consequences associated with creating a flammable workplace culture. Yeah, I mean, in Japan, what is what is the term? It's called Kiroshi. Kiroshi, death by overwork. Death by overwork. And, uh, you know, it happens here too. It happens in North America. It happens at a, a larger magnitude than most people are will, most people are comfortable to confront. And so I think I, when I think about our leaders, I think, well, what about the wellness programs? So in, in this article as well, writer Tony Swartz says, mm -hmm. He notes a study by the National Institute of Mental Health that found that workplace wellness programs have failed to improve people's health or change their work experience because leaders rarely actively support the programs they fund. <laughs> oh, man. So what are your thoughts on this statistic? And do you think that corporate wellness programs can improve through leadership? Doesn't that sound like the worst kind of leader in the fourth quadrant, the leader who is aware of burnout culture but doesn't care about people? Yes. They're just doing this to please their shareholders, to make it seem like there's a Band-Aid solution over there. Correct. They're just managing optics, but they actually don't care about their people. And this is a real problem. And I think about that one CEO that uh, was mentioned in that Glassdoor review, and I'll tell you what company that was from afterwards. You'll okay. be shocked. Uh, who said that the leader is engaging actively in using and burning people out and then replacing them. Counter that with some of my favorite CEOs in Canada. One of them is a personal friend of mine, Zakir Hemraj. If you go on his glass door, you can see the reviews. They're talking about this person as though he is like a prophet in some ways. And you go on his LinkedIn, he says, uh, it doesn't actually have his title on LinkedIn. He has a people-focused leader. That's his, his title. And who is he? His, Zakir Hemraj is the CEO and founder of a company called Lupio. Okay. And he, I mean, you should get him on the podcast. I, I can't say enough about him. One of the smartest people I know. Every time I sit down with him, I feel like I should just cut him a check and be like, "Hey, take 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 all of my money because you don't understand how <laughs> you have amazing. how you have benefited my life personally, professionally, and even now academically as well." But that's all it takes, right? It takes this reconfiguration of leadership. I think so many times leaders are focused on profits, but if you take care of your people, your people will take care of your customers, and customers will take care of profits. Absolutely. And somewhere along the line, and I think this happens because of duress and stress and performance pressure that's felt at an organizational level, leaders ignore their people. And uh, there's a great book called The Dichotomy of Leadership by Jocko Willing, who talks about balancing responsibility to the mission and responsibility to the people. If there's too much of an emphasis on the people, it takes away from the mission. If there's too much of an emphasis on the mission, on the, on the people, it takes away from the mission, conversely. You have to balance it. Focus on the mission, also care about the people. Mm -hmm. So we need to see more leaders inculcate that. I was just on a call earlier today for a major bank in Canada that's bringing me in to do a wellness and burnout workshop. 
And uh, I said to them, like, there's nothing I can offer you guys because you had a 60, 65% employee engagement rate and you brought that up yourselves to 80 to 85. So I should be paying you to teach me what you did. And they joked and they laughed and like, yeah, I know we understand that we've done really, really innovative things over here. We're bringing you in to help sustain this culture. And I said, what did you do? How did you go from 60 to 65% engagement rates to 80 to 85% in just three years? Yeah. And the leader said something that just uh, made me want to cry, honestly. He's like, when I go to work every day, 50% of my time is spent focusing on the company and 50% of it is spent focusing on people, their mm -hmm. lives, their friends, their family, their pets. You know, what makes them take why they're here, purpose, helping them self-actualize. And I thought to myself, my goodness, why, why can't this be, this, why does this have to be a deviation? Why does this have to be the exception to the rule? How much happier would people be if that's the way that we work? And, and time and again, as a leader myself, I'm in conversations where people say, you know, we shouldn't invest in people. We shouldn't invest too much money on professional development. What if they leave? And my counter to that is, hold on, what if they're bad and they stay? What's more costly? Mm -hmm. A negative, toxic, burnt out employee who stays or a self-actualized, happy, productive employee who leaves? Isn't the job of a leader to produce more leaders? And if you do this right, you'll actually retain them. And, and if you have more new employees, you're going to retain them even better because they're go. going to be working with these individuals, right? So Here you, you have to be mindful of those who you're keeping within the organization as well. 100%. I've worked at multiple companies and some of the companies I never felt myself. And I 100% can say that's because of the leadership. And some companies, and now, like, I feel completely myself when I go to work. So and the, I love that. This is a really important thing to, to, to break down. And I actually want to hear more about this. I was reflecting on it this morning. I, I was thinking about times in the recent, recent past where I didn't feel like myself. How did you know that you didn't feel like yourself? Did you know that you weren't feeling like yourself in the moment or after you had come out of that depressive episode? Uh, I would say it's just from changing environments, changing positions. In a previous position that I had, I was told on my first day, you either, you, you either sink or swim. Good luck. Get out. I'm not joking. From an individual, she said this. She was. A, That's ridiculous. Yeah, man. she was high up in the organization. She was actually exiting the organization when she told me this. And it was an exit in a positive way. She was going to another organization, organization that she was really excited about. But that is first day I met her. That's what she said on my first day. I was like, "Wow, that makes me feel wonderful." Not like, yeah, are you kidding yeah, yeah, me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that means that the CEO of the company is the worst kind of uh, leader, the, the most flammable type of leader who is aware of the culture of burnout. And even if they are not aware, at the end of the day, they don't care about people. And maybe how they justify it is like, "This is a gauntlet. People have to make it through." Kind of like the Navy SEALs. Well, hold on, I'm a graphic designer. This isn't the Navy SEALs. What are we talking about here? Right. I'm a stockbroker. I'm a lawyer. This is nothing Navy SEALs. Why are we treating this like some gauntlet that you have to crawl under barbed wire and, 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 and climb fences while gunfire is going off? There's, there's no real analogy to that. So these leaders are engaged in, 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 in basically burning out a layer and then scraping it off and then repeating. Burning off a layer, scraping it off, repeating. But they're doing so for the accrual of personal resources and profit and growth for the sake of growth, totally ignorant to the real human consequences of burnout. This is where I get frustrated. And I got to say, like, on, like I've, <laughs> I'm nearly done my water over here. I have to keep on drinking water because I'm actually getting heated talking about this. It's making me really upset to know that you and I have been at the receiving end of this. And I'm getting especially angry thinking about times in my life, in my career, not that long ago, where I worked with bosses who were straight up monsters, who knew I was burning out, who retained me despite the fact 
and continued to engage in behaviors that would further burn me out. When I was no longer of use to them, they helped me see my way out. How ridiculous is that? Unbelievable. Did they not know how much personal pain and trauma that would cause? Now, both of us have come out of these circumstances, better people, more self-aware, self-actualized in our giving with our time and our energy. And we want to engage in, in, in projects like this, the Millennium Minimalist Podcast, the Ideas Into Action Podcast, and our different expressions of our ideas. But my goodness, there are some people who just never make it out. And something I should add is that I think some people, some people can maybe uh, see their leaders in their office, their bosses, in maybe a negative light. But maybe, maybe it's because of something that they're dealing with. Like maybe they can't speak up. Right. Right. Maybe, maybe it's it's anxiety in their head, and that's actually not what their boss is thinking. So I think we should write that out first. But it's definitely leadership for sure in some scenarios. I'm very lucky today because. my leadership is incredible. Yes. Uh, I can be myself. Amazing. We work very well together. So I'm lucky in that regard. But I've, I've had experiences in the past where I wasn't lucky. You know, again, on my first day, you either sink or swim. So how did I feel the next day? I felt anxious, stressed, and I overworked myself at that job because I felt like, you again, I was going to sink or I was going to swim. Yeah, so yeah. that was in my mindset the entire time I was there. And that's not healthy. No. Why can't we go to work and feel just happy, feel ourselves? It's going to make us want to work every day. It's going to want us, it's going to, it's going to motivate, motivate us to be successful in whatever we're doing. And it's going to make us happy and nice to all the people that we work with. And we're going to talk about the organization in a beautiful light. And there's all these (laughs) factors that come into play when you feel, you feel, and you know what? I'm not looking for, I'm not telling our future leaders or our current leaders to give us a pat on the back, but I'm telling them. Give us a pat on the back. Say hello in the morning. Right. How are you doing? Ask about your life outside oh of work. Oh my God, and actually care. Actually, actually care. Because everybody in the organization can feel it if it's not there. Why do we sound like crazy people, even though we know that this should just be normal? This should be understood. We shouldn't. There shouldn't have to be a podcast about this in 2020. Yeah. Like this is absolutely bizarre to me. It's funny that we were putting together the wedding guest list and uh, I was debating. I'm like, hmm, a lot of people that we work with at work, you know, I don't know how we're going to do this, if I should invite them. And then I took a second. I was like, hold on. I spend more time with these people than I do with any other group of people, more than my family, my friends, my partner. Like why shouldn't work be this place that if we're going to spend a minimum of 40 hours a week at, why shouldn't it be a place that is conducive to our well-being and productivity and health and all of that. And uh, you remind me of a, of a quote, again, from Jocko Willink, who talks about it in the Dichotomy of Leadership. And this is going to be a tough pill, especially for some of the leaders listening to this podcast to swallow. There's no such thing as a bad team. There's only bad leadership. There's no such thing as a bad employee. There's only a bad leader. Now, I've been in situations where there has clearly been a delinquent, a rogue, an underperforming team member. So how does that model apply? Well, the onus is on me as a leader, as a decision maker, to help that person improve or to help them exit gracefully and swiftly. And the longer I persist and tolerate their behavior and allow them to continue to bring the team down, the buck stops with me. This is good advice for fellow leaders. I think so. I think so. And it's, it's one that I try to practice every single day. So, you know, at, at, at Student Life Network and Wyconic, whenever there's an issue, uh, I'm never one to say, you know, oh, this person dropped the ball or that person dropped the ball. I'm always the first person to die on the sword. Like, hey, you know what? They might have fucked up, but honestly, it was my fault. It was my fault for not checking the work, for not setting them up for success, for not creating a culture where they had more time and energy and attention to dedicate to this project. 
it's my fault. I'm a bad leader. You're not blaming them. But actually taking it further from that and abstracting it, you're not a bad leader, but you engaged in bad leadership. And I think this is where people like myself, especially, who are quick to judge themselves and who, who uh, are empathetic to a fault almost, we have to be careful, again, going back to the earlier part of the conversation, not letting work define you. You are not your work. You are so much more than that. So we are potentially the leaders of the future. Hopefully. So we as millennials, what can we do today to help shift the leader, our current leader's mindset and craft ours in, in, a, in a better light? Like, I guess it's just information. We just need to be informed. Yeah. So, so thinking about the burnout paradox, uh, we've only been engaged in this level of conversation about the subject in, for the, intentionally for the last five years. And, and I would say collectively over the last 10 years, the volume and, 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 and the frequency has increased. But we need to do more than that. I think that what we need to start doing is holding our leaders to task. We need to start being more vocal about this conversation. Uh, for example, let's go back to the away situation. Immediately after that Verge piece came out, a Forbes counter piece came out, which is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever read. It was clearly paid for. Paid for by away. Oh <laughs> my God. And, and one of the, I, I actually need to copy that because I, I'm sure they're going to take it down. It's absolutely ridiculous it's so embarrassing but one of the lines was these people should have known what they were getting themselves into and and startups in 2019 demand that level of, of whatever it, it just sounded like like a like a boss saying like be okay with this like put up with this level because if, if you burn out in the service of this if you give a, if you give me your soul I, I will promise you the riches of the world right then you look at the average salary in a way it's like what are we talking about right it's nothing it's nothing but so you get free meals oh my god that that is the worst one ever right the the fact that I'm just going to name them, right? Google. Like Google takes care of everything for you. In the Silicon Valley, they take care of your housing. They take care of your laundry. They, pay, they, they cater three meals a day, so on and so forth. Uh, you would think that, yeah, this is perfect. I mean, I'm, I'm making this $200,000, $300,000 salary and all of my needs are taken care of. What's the trade-off? It's your time. It's your soul. You are tethered to your desk. You are expected to perform at a level that is inhuman. And if you don't think for a second that the bosses at Google would replace you with a machine, with an algorithm, with a piece of code that can do your job, you're kidding yourself. I never thought of it in that light. Kidding Basically, yourself. hey, we're doing all the work for you that's outside of your work so that you can focus 100% on your work. Ridiculous. Oh my god. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So what can we do? We need to start pointing to where the problem is and calling out the problem and speaking about it with a level of specificity with clarity that has never been done before. Because I think the leaders and organizations of leaders, not to get into sort of conspiracy Illuminati territory, but I think that there is a conversation that happens in closed rooms, behind closed doors, outside of our purview, that is designing messages and designing systems to make us further believe that the onus is on us, mm -hmm. that it's an individual problem that needs to be solved. And I think that people are being propped up and themes at conferences are being propped up and publications and movies are being greenlit, which reinforce this notion of the individual self-sacrificing the hero's journey that, you know, persists through all the stressors, the ups and downs, the dragons and the monsters, and this idea of verisimilitude that everything is happening as part of this Hamza story or this Kelly story, and it's all limited no. to that as silly. There no. are things that have been predetermined before we were even born that we're going to offer resistance to us and increase the, the likelihood that we will incur stress and burnout. So we have to do that. 
First of all, call out the problem and speak about it with level of specificity and clarity that has never been done before, and then look to better models. Look to models like Zakir Hamraj at Lupio. Look to models like that bank that I was talking about earlier. Look to organizations and discussions like this that are propping up a better way. Look to Finland. Look to this idea that you can work a four-day work week, right? That you can work a six-hour work day, that, that the studies have shown time and again that more calm employees are calm employees are more productive. Look at the fact that Microsoft, I have the stat over here. One second, let me just read it out for you. I'm just gonna quote it verbatim. Right? Here we go. Is this the stat from Microsoft Japan? Oh yeah. From Microsoft Sunday? experimented with a four-day work week and productivity jumped by 40%. Yes. What I, the hell? I read that same article. So uh, it is called the work-life choice challenge the work-life choice and challenge. they did it last year august 2019 Wild. shockingly so it's super super Wild. recent and so they gave 2300 employees three-day weekends for a full month and over that period they measured sales per employee and again yes they found a 40 percent jump in productivity compared to august 2018 and let's break this down there's some real science that underpins this first of all there's something known as parkinson's law which states that work expands so as to fill the time allocated for its completion think back to when you worked on an essay the night before it was due right you got that essay done in three hours but you could have taken three months to get it done the fact is that time is malleable when it comes to the task at hand so if you give yourself four weeks to get the work done that you would otherwise spread out over five, sorry, over five, five days, you give yourself four days to do it, you're going to work smarter. You're going to focus on the right things. You're going to eliminate distraction, eliminate clutter. You're going to get rid of the things that are competing for your time, energy, and attention that you allow to happen. Microsoft put out another study, I think in 2016, that the average worker is, is interrupted twice every hour. And every time they're interrupted, it takes them approximately 24 minutes to get back to the task at hand, which if you do the math in an average workday, you're only working four hours. So you actually have a lot less time to get work done because you're allowing these things like you're allowing notifications, you're allowing Jeff to walk in and talk to you about the Raptors game last night. Hey, Jeff, let's talk about it after work or message me later. We'll get around to it. My door is closed because I'm in deep work. I'm getting things done, but I'm not getting things done. I'm getting the right things done. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That, I think, is what we need to start prioritizing, getting the right things done, eliminating waste, eliminating distraction, eliminating clutter, and, and focusing on the things that generate the most results. And there's a Pareto principle which illustrates that 20% of inputs typically dictate 80% of outputs. So there's only in your work portfolio 20 things out of 100 things that are actually generating most of your results. So find out what those are and get rid of all of the waste. And then we can get into the benefits of having that extra day. So why does a weekend have to be only two days? How, how much more refreshed did you feel today because we had this long weekend? You had three days, four days away if you took Friday off. An amazing thing happens when you're bored. It is a precursor to breakthrough creativity and innovation. You have your best ideas after this elastic period where your brain has had time to decompress, reconfigure, organize information, and then make space, defragment itself and make space for new ideas. We have to encourage this because the, the stats have shown time and again, we knew about this in 2015, right? The competitive advantage in the global economy report concluded that calm employees are up to 20% more productive than their stressed out counterparts. We knew this in 2015. We knew this five years ago. And yet we're going in the opposite direction. Yep. Yep. And so so what I do personally, and it's really helped with minimalism, minimalist lifestyle, is that, again, I set time blocks in my calendar. And I've started to do it for even my podcast. I'm researching this individual and this topic, and I'm going to give three hours in the morning, wow. for example. And had I not set 
that boundary for myself, I would have gone six hours. I would have taken a break. I would have, again, reacted maybe to my phone. And so you're maximizing your time that way. <laughs> but then you're also maximizing your time where you can just be bored. Oh, my goodness. And just be free. I, I, let, let's go into that. And, and God bless you, Kelly. You are, you are one of my favorite interviewers. And I'll tell you why. Kwaku, when I was doing my own podcast, uh, I was really nervous about the first episode. He's like, look, once you get into a state of flow, the cameras, the mics, everything will disappear and you will just be having a conversation with a friend. And I've done hundreds of podcasts. And whenever I do a podcast with you, it's my second time doing it. I actually forgot that we were on a podcast. I actually forgot that we were on a podcast. And it wasn't until you talked about minimalism that I remembered. You have let me go on rant after rant about burnout and about stress and about organizational individual imperatives. But let's make this more applicable to the millennial minimalist listeners. Let's talk about how this applies to the concept of minimalism, right? The Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, same idea, Parkinson's law, same idea about getting the right things done and minimizing clutter and reducing distractions. All of these principles, yes, we're talking about work, but I think these same things apply. Like you, ta- like you gave in that example about blocking off three hours, these apply to how you structure your time, your energy, your attention. And we're recording in this beautiful studio over here which is like a temple to minimalism. My goodness. I mean, it's it's pristine. We are recording in Lauren's beautiful home. That's Shout usually out where we record. <laughs> yeah, Lauren's place is absolutely beautiful. It's very minimalist, which yes. we, we talk about often on the podcast. These are these are this is a home that you see on Instagram all the time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. We'll have to post some more, but uh, but on this continued talk talk about uh, leadership, I wanted to mention so what is your thought on the four day, six hour work week. Do you believe in it? And do you think that it will actually happen? Because I know this is just something uh, Finland's Prime Minister Santa Marin put forth, but it's not confirmed yet. This is a step in the right direction, but we have to be more thoughtful about how this applies to, uh, to, to different work environments. So I have, I have two TED Talks that are, that are out in the world and they're doing their thing. And I would say 90% of the comments are very positive. We agree with this. This is the way of the future, so on and so forth. And then the 10% are like, this has no relevance to my industry. What are you talking about? What are you talking about flexible work hours? I work as a truck driver. There's no flexible work hours over here. Or someone else saying that I answer phones for a living. Of course, I'm going to be micromanaged. My time is going to be tracked. So these ideas that are applicable to knowledge work and creative work don't apply across sectors. So I want to think more about what this could look like. I like the underlying philosophy. So what Sana Marin uh, is, is attempting to do is create a dialogue. Because I think she didn't talk about this recently. She talked about this before she ran for office. But this is something that she wanted to implement. So let's see how she does this. She will truly be a trailblazer if this happens. Because if this happens and if the numbers that we've seen with Microsoft, uh, with the other study that I cited, and if all the research is true, then we will see productivity increase. We will see happiness indexes increase. We will see that uh, Finland will become um, one of the best places on, on the planet to live. I think that if we see this change happen in Japan, that would really influence every, every. other every other country in the world to do the same. Like US got, businesses are testing it, but there's it's just testing at this stage, right? It's so. testing and I can understand the hesitance for leaders to engage in this because if you do it, you're going to be seen as a black sheep. You're going to be seen as like, oh, your team only works four days a week? Come on, you guys are rookies. You guys are amateurs. You know, yeah. step into the big leagues. This 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 toxic this, this not the toxic case. idea that is pervasive in North America where we live to work, but in European countries, and you and I have have, have traveled 
the world, and we've seen that in Italy, you know, they do it differently. In Ireland, they do it differently. In Greenland, they do it differently. I mean, everywhere other than the USA and 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 Canada, this idea that you 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 work to live exists. Mm. That there's a, such a thing as life. That it, there there's a balance, and that this is a this is a conduit that you work to. Uh, to support your community, to to contribute to society, to generate an income which you then use to take care of yourself and your family right. and make society a better place. Like, how did we get so far away from that? Now, I can already hear the critics being like, but yeah, would you want to live anywhere else? Right. The, the reason why we enjoy such a high standard of living in Canada and in the USA is because we're workaholics, because we, we, we're always firing on all, on, all, all, on all cylinders and burning the midnight oil and uh, burning the candle on both ends. And, you know, this is... Uh, where my research is currently paused, and I'm looking to break through that 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 barrier. And once I do, I think the next iteration, the sequel, the spiritual sequel to the Burnout Campbell, will come forth. And I've got some interesting ideas for that. It it might not be in the form of a book. Oh, really? Uh huh. Well, I'm hoping. I'm, well, I'm excited for whatever product you put out next. I'm excited. So, in addition to the four day, six hour work week, what about mental health days? We have sick days. You know, if we're physically sick, but what if we're mentally sick? What if we're mentally ill? Like that is, it's just a silent sickness. Why isn't that the same as if you're, you know, why is the flu the only reason we can be sick? Why can't we be sick because, or why can't we just not be sick and have days off to just clear our minds? Well, Kelly, you said it, it's invisible, right? We can't see it. We don't know what it looks like because it's in your head and sometimes it manifests physically. Uh, I have been depressed. I have been anxious. I have experienced episodes and um, I've also been high performing at the same time, right? So uh, my, my, my team, my bosses would never know any better. Uh, in fact, when I was burning out, there was some physical evidence that I was burning out, but it was largely masked by, by, by my, my, my tenacity, foolish tenacity, to show up to work and to still appear as though I'm performing. And that's very easy to do. It's very easy to mask that thing in a corporate environment, especially with a large organization. So we, as, as a collective, need to start reclassifying what mental health is. Mental health is health. Physical health is health. We shouldn't have to distinguish between the two of them. Correct. Uh, and once we get there, and I think we're making steps in the right direction, you know, with Bell Let's Talk now being spaced out twice a year and, and, and you're seeing more organizations have mandates and there's policies now especially here in Ontario, around uh, uh, psychological safety, emotional safety, in addition to physical safety, uh, I think we're going to upgrade. We're going to start to see some changes in the right direction. Yeah, I think we are moving in the right direction. I hope so. I think think there is awareness, more awareness these days, which is great. And, And yeah, so that's great. And then when it comes to other options like work from home options, do you think that leaders should encourage healthy breaks? And, And how can they show more appreciation for their employees? Yes, this is where I would encourage my fellow leaders, stop focusing on the optics, stop focusing on the outputs and only be focused on the outcomes. You should not care how the job gets done. You should care that your employees are empowered, that they have the tools, the resources and the training to get the job done. But if they get the job done in the office, outside of the office, let them do the job, right? This insistence on being in the office in this place where you're expected to sit for eight hours a day and sitting is the new smoking, where you're expected to just uh, thug it out for lack of a better phrase, that's actually counterproductive. The studies have shown that work 
doesn't actually get done in the office, especially if you're in an office that's prone to distractions, that you're only working really four hours a day. Why do grown adults have to ask other grown adults for permission to go see a dentist? Why do I have to ask, I mean, I'm not saying me personally, it's been a long time since I've done right. that, but why did I at one point in my career have to ask to leave work for an hour outside of my lunch break to go take care of some banking because my bank closed at 5 p.m. and I worked nine to five? I mean, this is inhumane. Mm -hmm. This is inhumane, and these are the sort of microaggressors which then further contribute to workplace stress and then eventually burnout. Right. So just start treating people. Just <laughs> I'm just going to keep it simple. Be better, man. Just, hey, leaders, be better. I love that. <laughs> no, it. honestly, that's, better, that, that's great advice, and I hope, I hope that we do see change. Yeah, man. And I'm excited for this movement because I want to I help you any way I can, and I want to I bring more of my friends on board to push this movement forward. I have an idea. These change, something needs to change. Like, get a hashtag out there because we need to raise awareness about this. I, and have, I have so many ideas, and we, we have to talk. Maybe on this podcast after, like, there, there's something coming. There's big things coming. And in addition to the leaders in our workforce – I wanted to, before we close, mention, what about our, our parents? And I'll give you a quick story. Uh, so my mom just recently went through a little health scare. Her appendix ruptured, and she felt the pain. She's a, she's a full-time babysitter, and she's a workaholic. I learned it from her. Mm -hmm. And But side note, I set boundaries now. And... So on a couple Thursdays ago, she felt some pain um, and she had three kids that she was watching and she says, oh, I'll just take Advil or whatever just to cover the pain in the meantime. And then come the evening, she was in serious pain. And my dad earlier in the day was saying, let's go to the, let's go to the clinic. They go at the end of the day and the clinic says, you need to go to the emergency room. Wild. So then she goes to the emergency room. My dad brings her. Uh, my dad's the best. Anyways, uh, so they go there and she doesn't actually get a room till four in the morning. Okay. Meanwhile, she's being put on all these meds in the meantime oh to control goodness, I'm the so pain. I'm so sorry to hear this is a nightmare. And then long story short, she was in the week, in the hospital for a week. And in that week, her mindset completely shifted. Not only did this experience bring our family closer together and it was very, very scary for us, but... I remember when she first was the first day she was in the hospital before her surgery, she was saying, I don't know what to do. I mean, I mean, I, I like, I, I can't take time off work. And, you know, I, I can't, it's the reason why she didn't go to the doctor on the Thursday is because she said, I can't, what can I do with these kids? Like their parents are at work. There's nothing I can do. Even though she could have found someone to watch them while she went health first. She yeah. realized that her health is first. I talked to her on the phone yesterday and she said, you're right, Kelly. You know, I, I can't think that way. I can't think. She used to say, I can't take a day off work because then I don't get paid. That's not a way to think. Oh, my God. You can take a day off work. You have to live your life. And again, health is number one. Her mind has completely shifted since this experience. And it was very scary. And now she's like, you know what? Health's number one. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to be more mindful of taking time to rest and recover. And it's 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 unfortunate that she had to go through this situation or to realize that. Uh, but I'm so thankful that she's okay today. So. Wow, I'm I'm so sorry to hear that. That that is that is a nightmare. And uh, I'm glad she's okay. And I'm glad that she's developed that perspective. Mm -hmm. And that's a perspective that I wish we all had. Yeah, I wish we all had. I learned that far later in life than I would have liked to. It's a particularly painful painful story to share, but I, 
shout out to my shout out to my life coach Joanne Lim, who's coached me, uh, especially in Q4 of 2019. Just be honest, be vulnerable, and just just tell the story. You never know who's going to benefit from it. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna tell the story. Right? Right. I think this is the first time I've actually gone into detail about this. There was a company that I worked for, an organization that I worked for, a large organization, very well known. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say their name. You can go on my LinkedIn and infer which organization this was. It wasn't that long ago. I gave this organization everything: my heart, my soul. I gave them my life. First person to show up, last person to leave. Evenings, weekends, holidays. Everything was dedicated to this organization. It's also an organization that, on their watch, on my leader's watch, I burned out in spectacular fashion. Oh gosh! I had that realization when I was burned out far too late that your mom had in a very compressed period of time where she was stressed about, oh my goodness, I can't be productive. I can't work. I can't serve this organization. I care so much about this organization. But does the organization care about her the same way? Mm-hmm. Do they recognize that she's a human being? Do they recognize that they might have contributed to her burnout? Are they willing to pay her for the time away? Are they willing to hold her job until she can get better? Mm-hmm. Why is this so one-directional? Mm-hmm. Why do the leaders not care about us the same way that we are being encouraged to care about the mission, the vision, the values, drink the Kool-Aid, help me build my dream? Yes, we are helping you to build your dream, but are you helping us to build ours? Mm-hmm. And this is why I get so frustrated with this topic, because all we have to do is one simple change, and it's working. Lupio, run by Zacher Hemorrhage, is one of the top 50 companies in Canada, one of the fastest growing companies in Canada, and he puts the people before the profits. If you care about the people, the people will take care of the customers, the customers will take care of the profits. That's all you have to do. I want that right in my wall. So (laughs) simple, and I don't know why we've gotten so far away from this. So when I think about my parents, I mean, my my parents are very much in the same boat. They care so much about the work, and they're so, my dad hasn't taken a vacation. I don't think my dad's ever taken a vacation. Wow. I don't know what he would do on vacation, frankly. (laughs) But I... I don't, know. I, I don't know if you can hear the message now, but, but the message is this, like, you are more than your work. You are more than the person that goes to work every single day. Yes. Your company doesn't care about you. Your company would replace you with a machine in a heartbeat. Your company would not even ask you for your consent before they escort you out of the building and say, your job is now going to be done by HAL 9000. And that breaks my heart, which is why I'm, I'm, I'm back in the fight, man. I'm, I'm back in the fight. And, and I'm so glad that you're continuing you in, I think you inviting me to this podcast and allowing me to work out my ideas with, with a peer, with somebody who I, I really cherish and value and respect. And, and I know that whenever you give me feedback, it's, you're, you're not just gassing me up. You're, you're actually speaking from your own experiences. You're creating a space where this conversation can be had. Now, we're using the keyhole of minimalism to have a wider conversation about a minimalist approach that we need to take to bring the world back because I think that we have we've we've gone off the rails. So I've mentioned to a couple of colleagues and clients of mine that I was having this interview with you and mentioning the topic of burnout always gets people excited to talk about it because they can relate to it. Mm-hmm. Especially a lot of my peers, people in my environment. Right. And one of my clients said she said recovery is a part of productivity. She was like, we need to push that out. She says, we also need to rediscover hobbies. Yes, man. Wow. We don't need to just have, not everybody needs a side hustle. Yes. Guilt-free fun. Play some video games, man. Yes. Collect stamps. Whatever you want to do. Do it. Yes. 
Yes, and we're not doing enough of that. We always, I mean, again, all of the influence around us, especially social media and our phones, yeah. you gotta do more, you gotta do more, you gotta do more. But it doesn't mean it's side hustle. You can just do more of what you love. And, and it's so funny, right before we got on air, you asked me what happened to season two of my podcast. Well, it stopped being a hobby. It started becoming another project. I want to get back to it feeling like a hobby again. I, I want to have genuine hobbies in my life that have no bearing on my income whatsoever. These are things that I do for myself. Do for myself. For example... And for others. You and really for others want to see well. change. Sure, sure. Absolutely. I, I write a lot, but now I'm writing for myself again. And it's a beautiful thing. I'm writing things that no one will ever see. Maybe my kids might see. Maybe not. But it's therapeutic. It's my time. And on, on the books, I'm not making money when I'm doing that. And that's perfectly fine because the harvest comes later. Like your, like your colleague mentioned, productivity necessitates recovery. Recovery is a part of productivity. And if I can recover, then I can be more productive and experience the rewards on the back end. And think about all the creativity that comes out oh. in that that you don't even you don't even account for, right? Yeah. So you don't think about it. Uh, so I, I don't want to finish this conversation, Let's but keep we going. have to, I'm, unfortunately. I, oh, no, it's all good. We'll, we'll, we'll do part three, part so, four. Some, you send up the bat signal, I'm there. Man. Yeah, so some final thoughts. Uh, predictions around burnout culture, short and long-term solutions. This what is, are your thoughts? This is where I'm going to need your help, Kelly, because you are the optimist to my pessimist. You, you are the you have a remarkable ability to see the good in situations where I might just be very cynical about this. So I'm going to offer my, my thoughts and then I'd love to hear your thoughts. And I think it's going to get a lot worse. I think before it gets any better, it's going to get a lot worse, specifically because uh, the people that are running the, the, the show right now, the, the leaders that are in top positions in companies that are pretending, keyword pretending, to care about you. And I'm talking about top tech companies, the ones that are making the lists, winning the awards, that are regularly appearing on the top 10 most desirable companies to work at, the top five brands that Generation Z cares about, companies that we've put on the pedestal. These are the same leaders who are running these companies thinking, perfect. The marketing is working. The branding is working. People believe it. They're buying into it. But they don't know that they're part of the grinder. They're part of the grinder. We bring you in, we, we suck the life out of you, and then we spit you right back out as though you didn't even come here in the first place. So I would agree with you, but I would think that it's going to crash at some point. It has to, right? There's going to be, I think that when we start to see this big number change, when we start to see the bottom line numbers change, and we also start to see a mass exodus of top talent. I'm getting very encouraged by looking at the social enterprise sector and seeing people leave their cushy jobs mm -hmm. to do the unsafe thing that is good for the world. And I'm seeing that. I'm like, oh, that shouldn't happen. Why do people not care about money anymore? And Deloitte has shown time and again, if you look at Deloitte's Future of Work report, they publish this every single year. For the last five years, you know what has been dropping in terms of what the generations that are coming after us want in the workplace? Money title. And what they want is they want purpose. They want flexibility. They want the things that we're talking about. So I think a correction is happening, but unfortunately there's too many casualties as a part of that correction. So hopefully things are going to change, but I think it's going to get worse. And I think what we need to do is uh, look to some of these signs. They're all around us. They're in the zeitgeist. A movie like The Joker shouldn't be as popular as it is, right? People are like, that's a fantastic movie. It's well done. No, watch it again. Joaquin Phoenix acted very well, but in terms of direction, it was lackluster. It was pretentious, right? Let's let's be honest. Hot take over there. Without Walking Phoenix, that movie wouldn't have done well. But it did well in 2019 because it spoke to something in the zeitgeist. The reason why Parasite's doing so well because a it's a fantastic movie, but it is irritating something that we are all thinking about but not vocalizing that there is an imbalance, that there is a power imbalance in the world right now, and 
in our core, the 99% want to overthrow it and reset the system. And maybe we felt this way for a long time, but I think it's bubbling up. So I would encourage us to look at these signs that there's a problem, that there's unrest, that there is this faction of people, the, the, the masses, if you will, that want change, that want a better system. And the short-term solution is we have to get educated and get ahead of the problem. Because if we don't, we're talking about widespread economic collapse, widespread revolt. Um, we're talking about even, it might, it, might, it might even spill over into the streets. I mean, uh, that's a possibility as well. But the long-term solution, I think, is for the individual, the organization, and the government to prioritize calm over crazy. We have to prioritize calm over crazy and focus on getting the right things done and change the paradigm from live to work to work to live. So we need to do that first. I and think then so. hopefully other companies will start to get called out, right? Yes. So these companies that aren't in line with the values that they're presenting yes. on their websites, right? Yes. yes. So I'm actually, I just finished a book. It's called It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. Why don't we talk? Oh my God. We, we could do a whole other podcast. That. That was a game-changing book for me, honestly. Okay, that amazing. book, my, there was my life before that book, my life after that book. I cannot say enough about it. We should include it in the show notes. Oh my gosh, I absolutely will. And he says, anxiety isn't a prerequisite, prerequisite for progress. Yes. Calm is 40 hours of work a week. Calm is reasonable expectations. Calm is protecting people's time and attention. Calm is about sustainable practices that can run for the long term. And we Jason need Fried, more man. CEOs like Jason Fried. He's, a C he's the CEO of Basecamp. Wildly successful. Didn't have to raise millions of dollars. Didn't have to go through the, the, the idiotic gauntlet that a lot of startups they think they can do. They've been bootstrapped from day one. Uh, they've been in the black all the time. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're highly profitable. It's, it's a true success story that, that, that shows that there's a better way to do things. Now, that's an example of a great leader. Oh, love and it. And we need more of Love him. it. Got to get him on the podcast. Yeah. And you as well. You're an amazing leader. Oh, man. I try. I try. I'm learning. Well, thank you so much, Hamza. Thank you. This um, was a lot of fun. This was so much fun. Again, it just felt like a fun conversation. Yes. I hope our listeners felt like they were just sitting with us over coffee or whatever ah. and just having this relaxed conversation. And I hope that everybody can, you know, start doing some research yes. and thinking about those leaders in their lives and thinking about what they can do on an individual level yes. to spread the word yes. and be a part of this movement. So where can our listeners follow you and what should we look forward oh, to? Wow. Well, wow. You can't tell us about what this product is, but no, hopefully I'll, you'll I'll, communicate I'll, it on your social. I'll, I'll tease it. But on my social, I'm at H-A-M-Z-A-K, Hamza K on Instagram. I'm at Hamza K on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. Um, where else am I on? YouTube as well. I've got my podcast. So follow me wherever you're comfortable, wherever you want to learn about my story. I try to be active on all platforms and I respond to everything. I respond. I, it might take me a while to get to the DMs, but I will definitely respond to you. Shoot me an email, hums at humzacon.ca. Check out my website. Um, if you have any ideas, if, if you want any feedback, if you just want to meet up, have a conversation, I'm here. Like this is, uh, this is what I do. And I feel very, very honored to be here on the Millennial Minimalist podcast. Once again, uh, we, we had the hottest episode, no pun intended, of 2019. And maybe <laughs> yeah. this is the one for 2020. Hopefully. Maybe. Thank you. What an honor. Well, thank you so much. And we will have to do a third round. Boom. I'm in. Awesome. Thank you so much. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening. That was my second conversation with best-selling author Hamza Khan. And if you enjoyed this episode, I highly recommend you listen to our first conversation in episode 56 titled, Let's Talk About Burnout. Hamza shares his story with burnout and provides tips to help you manage and prevent burnout. You can also learn more about Hamza and his book at hamzakhan.ca and follow him on social at Hamza K. 
That's H-A-M-Z-A-K. I will also include links in our show notes. And to close, if you haven't already, please kindly take a moment to leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Your reviews help us bring on more exciting guests and really keep Lauren and I motivated. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Millennial Minimalists. That's millennial with two N's. And lastly, I'm excited to announce our upcoming podcast will be a one-on-one conversation with Lauren and I. So please stay tuned. Thanks again and speak soon.